Falcon up on the rookery end. Post Watford, get ready, four, Chelsea, one. Uh, my name's John, uh, with me is Colin. Good evening. Good. Great evening, Colin. A great evening. Um, Mike's on his way, uh, and we'll have a chat about this this momentous game, I'm going to say. Almost season, more than season regeneration. It was amazing. What's the first thing you said to me? How can you create such a difference in performance in seven days? We were at Southampton away in the Cup, and uh, it was listless and slow, and there was no confidence and no energy and no dynamism, and that was just Southampton. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and we were worse than that. And then, uh, well, ten days later... To produce a performance of such dynamism and commitment, the way we pressed Chelsea and we kept pressing them right to the very end, I think we have to, for those who, who haven't caught up with the game yet, they, they went down to 10 men after about 35 yeah, minutes, yeah. something like that. So obviously that is a, a contributory factor, but they're Chelsea mm. and they've got world-class players and even with 10, we played well against them. We kept the Ziegler and Jan Matt, perhaps we'll talk about formations later, but kept the pitch very wide, made them run a lot. But nevertheless, they always looked dangerous when they got into our, into our third of the pitch. But nevertheless, there's two changes. One was the system was changed and the personnel was pretty much the same. Well, that's the thing. You know, the, it was the same players, but a very different performance. The, the system, which on paper, let's say, was three, four, two and one is a bit further ahead, uh, but more like... Four, well, we weren't sure at the beginning of the, on our WhatsApp group. Was it was it five at the back, three at the back? Could he go four at the back? And it, it seemed to be a, a, a squad and a, 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 a set of players that could change if needed. Um, it didn't seem that we did, but do you think that was done for Chelsea or that might be his favourite, a, a better way of playing with the players that we have? Well, it was certainly done for Chelsea because Chelsea set up with a 3-4-3 with Moses and Zappacosta tonight on the, as, as the wing-backs, I suppose, or, yeah. the, or, the, or the width in central midfield. And they played Bakayoko, who was the lad that got sent off. We matched them up, so we matched up 3-4-3, which is very dangerous, mm. but they didn't play a striker. Yeah. So they had Hazard, William and Pedro, and we had Holobas. <laughs> Newsflash, playing as a left centre-back. But I was thinking when I saw that, very interestingly, Terry Venables, when he managed England, he, he wanted to play three at the back. But he, his preference was to play full-backs as the, as the wider centre-backs. Not three centre-backs, but a full-back, a centre-back and a full-back in the three. And so it's not outlandish to ask Colobas to play in that position. Uh, and actually, I thought we had a, a decent game, very disciplined. That allowed Ziegler to do the things that I think he is better at. More, he's, he's much stronger going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was playing alongside Decore and Capu. And then on the other side, we had Yanmat. And then ahead of them, we had Richarlison and Delefeo and Dini. Now, what's good about that is that Moses and Zappacosta do not want to defend. <laughs> so when they haven't got the ball, Chelsea, they are three at the back. When we didn't have the ball, we went to five at the back. So Ziegler and Yanmat would come back and make a five. But they don't do that. And they didn't do it at Stamford Bridge, which is why we nearly beat them then, because we put players in behind them. And uh, they just won't track back. And that stretches the three centre-backs. Today it was Cahill, I think, and um, uh, Luis, who had a terrible game, (laughs) and uh, Rudiger. And they get stretched and pulled apart. And Dini was all over Luis, again, just like at Stamford Bridge. This time he didn't get taken off (laughs) at one all. He was kept on the pitch. And that allowed us, admittedly they were down to 10 men, but it allowed us to, to get forward in numbers. And what's interesting about it is that he is known for being quite a defensive coach, uh, uh, Javi Gracia, um, a man who likes to you know, keep a clean sheet and 
But tonight, he, uh, there was no sense of that. He, it was, we defend when we defend, and then we attack when we got the ball. Yeah. And, and he, his, his substitutions were not done to uh, take a step back at any point. It wasn't like, it was, they were all light for light. They were, they were done for the right reasons, for, for, for fitness, for uh, you know, tired legs. They weren't done, right, let's put another central midfielder on uh, and make a change. Like at one point, I did think that we might be a change. When Ziegler went down and what was on the bench, I thought, well, if you have to take him off, you put four at the back mm-hmm. and then you put uh, uh, Ndong in the midfield yeah. but he never did that he was lucky I think in some ways there but every move he made was to keep like you say that positivity of this is how we're going to play our game of football yeah I mean the really impressive thing is that he's managed to uh, put some confidence into those players confidence into the system again they were playing for each other rather than worrying about themselves which we've seen over the last couple of months players worrying and lacking confidence on the pitch because they're thinking as individuals tonight it looked much more like that, that group of players was thinking about each other and thinking about playing as a team uh, and so someone uh, I don't really want to pick out players because everybody had a, had a brilliant game but I do think that the one player that really stood out uh, in his performance compared to previous performances was Etienne Capoue and it seems like the coach has got in his ear and said look we haven't got Cleverly he's injured we haven't got Chalabar we haven't got Hughes uh, you can't you, you can't be a passenger in this team you can't wander around waiting to do something magical you have to roll up your sleeves and you have to work hard and you have to tackle and you have to press and you have to do all the things that all the other players are doing and to his credit he did it and it feels like almost like a new player in the team. Because yeah, but I had exactly the same feeling when we played away at Arsenal last year. Yeah. He, he is the sort of player, as we know, that he, 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 he steps up for the big games. Um, and the hope is that it isn't that just that. And like you say, we know what Eze Kampu can do. We haven't always seen it in his time at Watford week in, week out. But keep that up. Do it again on Saturday at the uh, Olympic Stadium. And, you know, you, you hopefully that, that shows that Etienne is is on board and is playing for, uh, for, 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 the, for the new manager and he, he believes in the system. Um, I think the, the real telling moments, really, of confidence was three of those goals. Yeah. You know, penalty, fair dues. Uh, deserved to be ahead, not just because of being down to them being down to 10 men. We deserved to be ahead, really positive. Uh, Watford on the front foot, so they deserve a goal, even if it was a penalty. But every other goal, every other goal was a player going, I'm going to keep running, I'm going to keep going. And it's been a long time since we've seen that. It really has been. It's been sort of September time. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I thought the second goal, uh, well, two things. One, Deeney and the importance uh, that he has for this team because when we were 1-0 up, we did start eventually to go backwards. It's mm. a sort of collective subconscious thing that teams start to back off towards the 18-yard line. And Deeney was standing on the halfway line, begging his midfield to come forward and press the team higher up. We were giving them basically two-thirds of the pitch and trying to defend in our third. They scored the equaliser, which was a very good individual effort yeah. from Hazard. And, and then Deeney was like, oh, he was so angry. And he was yelling at everybody. And after that, they came out of their shell. Instead of going further back into their shell and conceding the, the winner, which we've done a few times at yeah. home against City and Chelsea and, uh, and Spurs, they came back out and said, "No, no, that's not going to that's not going to happen this time." So that was that was impressive, I thought, and and that is a thing that has to happen collectively. It has to be a mental thing for the team. And uh, yeah, it's great to see. I hope we can carry on seeing it. The other thing I think was really fascinating about the system is that if you play three at the back and you play full backs as the wide men who are used to defending, then the system is more fluid. So when you haven't got the ball. You can get back in numbers and defend, and when you have got the ball, those players have got the appetite to get forward, as we saw with Yanmat. And uh, that second goal, I would say, is one of the yeah. certainly one of the 
I think it's one of the best goals I've ever seen in this stadium <laughs> because it was so fluid and the little touch and the bit around the corner and I mean, yeah. he's got a very similar goal away at their place last year as well, running at them. Maybe not the the link up play. That that was that. I think that's why I love that sort of goal yeah. as much. It was a pass off and a back and a, and yeah. a keep going. But you know, him and Delafayu. I think yeah. yeah the, worst, the thing about that Delafayu goal was you look at him like ten minutes before that. We're going. Oof, he's he's puffing. He's not. He's lost a bit. He'd be coming off in a minute. And you could see Carrillo about to come on. And he got the ball. And I was thinking, oh, keep going keep going didn't think he wasn't going to be able to keep going but he did and he scored uh, a wonderful uh, individual goal and almost like the, not quite, maybe the fairy tale of what he needed after this hype that's come with him yeah. really getting that confidence in what's happened in the window which we will talk about later in the podcast Mike and I uh, about how good or how successful it's been um, and he slotted it in the far corner it was, a hell of, it was a hell of a good goal and he, and he it was a cherry on the, on the cake for his performance because he, he really caused them a lot of problems uh, admittedly as I said Zappacosta didn't really track back didn't really want to you know, come back and, and look after him so he did have the freedom uh, of the park at times but you know his ambition to get forward his, uh, he, he's got very good feet he's come from Barcelona he's been yeah. playing alongside you know, some of the best players in the world he's, he's, he's put the skill level in a Barcelona training session it's quite high yeah. quite high yeah <laughs> Uh, and but to make the decision to come here uh, at 23, I think is a brave one. I think it's a good one for him. He probably won't end up being a regular at Barcelona, but he will have a great career, I think. And so to come here and then and then to deliver that real sort of commitment shows the, a maturity, which um, is, is great for us. He was he was terrific. He was absolutely exhausted. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. was taken off, and Carrillo was brought on after he scored. Yeah. And it took him. I mean, it wasn't time wasting. It literally <laughs> took him an age to get off the pitch because he, and he was taking his gloves off, and the ref came and shook his hand. And, uh, <laughs> Here's Michael yeah. with a very Here big smile on his face. Please make a note. This is a positive Michael on the way. How long do you reckon Colin will take before he says something negative about the game, or, or like just finds a, a negative side? How long? I've done about 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Evening. All right. Are you all right? I am. <laughs> I am. I'd like to give Watford an inordinate amount of praise for the way they came back from almost throwing their entire season away <laughs> with, uh, with about eight minutes. Less than 30, 30 seconds. seconds. <laughs> uh, I do have to say, let's get this out of the way, first and foremost. <laughs> I thought we were in grave danger of making a mess of... Uh, an incredibly big opportunity to re-kickstart our season. And I think the way they came back after conceding that equaliser was, uh, was terrific, exhilarating and a great deal of fun. Well done. Clearly, you know, Harry's been working. What do you reckon he's been working on then? What do you reckon he's been focusing on in the last seven, ten days? I think he's definitely looking to make us firmer at the back. I think he's really looking to be, have that solid base to, to build from. I think we, it was a difficult. I thought it was going to be a difficult night tonight when we saw that defensive unit that went out there. But that said, as I'm sure you probably said already, I yeah. th- think they performed really well. I think Delafoe made the difference in terms of we were back to kind of what we enjoyed at the start of the season in as much as we were breaking relatively quickly, getting from one end of the field to the other, solid at the back and then, and then breaking forward. I will say that I, th- I thought Chelsea were absolutely disastrous. I thought they were, it was a bizarre performance from them. They just didn't switch on at all. And I thought, to be honest, I thought, it, I thought it's, quite a, it's quite a real strange game, a real curate's egg, because I thought the atmosphere was a bit flat from Watford as well to start with, despite what a, a, decent, a decent opening from, from Watford. I thought the crowd was quite, quite deflating. I thought, we're all quite tired, aren't we? We're all sort of a bit fatigued by this. It's, it's, it's all quite difficult. And I thought sort of 
So Chelsea were struggling, then Bakayoko got sent off, which I think he was unfortunate. It was a, it was, it's not a, not a second yellow for me, but he was going to get sent off eventually because yeah. he's just a, <laughs> he's just a bit of a clown, unfortunately. But it was a real weird start to go. I thought Watford were by far the better team before the sending off anyway, and I, I, people will will talk about that. Those two yellow cards. Message to all fellow Watford supporters: Don't get up about what the media says. It doesn't matter. We were the better team throughout, so we don't need to worry about that. Um, it took him to two one for that crowd to truly liven up there is that element that thought process of all oh, this could fall over they yeah. are Chelsea anything could happen at any point well, but at 2-1 it was a lift because it was almost a thing of I mean I don't know how many minutes they were they were equal with us for two I think two, two if that and I think that feeling of it's not like we got back in it we got back in it quickly yes. that shows them a mentality a positive attitude I think I think Mike's put his finger on it we went back to transitioning really quickly and that, that made such a difference. But also the pressing. But if you press, then you can transition because you can win the ball back quickly. And we were winning the ball back in midfield again and again and again in those first 25, 30 minutes. And that was what led to the sending off in the end. Bakayoko had had the yep. ball nicked off him yep. three or four times. He'd been booked and he got it nicked off him again and he just went, have that. And he went in. And whether it was a soft one or not, it's, yep. you're asking the question of the referee and he's going to go, no, you're off. Yep. Uh, so it was frustration and we caused that frustration. And if you do that to teams, they won't perform. Um, the problem was that as, they, as we backed off, they started to get the ball more. Yeah. They started to remember who they were. They remembered that they had Eddie Hazard on the pitch <laughs> and they got the goal. But after that was the, was the key moment in our season, I suspect, that we, we went forward instead of back. Well, that was my next question. Key moment of the season. It's not going to be a key moment at this point. It will be a key moment if we continue on from it. But in terms of you know, the big results we've had... Well, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you because I think it is key. Because It is key. So it's confidence. It's not the key, the, the most important winner yet. I was speaking, um, speaking to uh, Gary, Gary Anderson, before, before the game, and he said, what's, you know, what's the manager got to do? What do they think about him here at Watford? And I said, so the biggest problem we've got isn't the talent in the squad. Um, although, as I said before, we've got some issues there. <laughs> but isn't, we've got the players there. The confidence is on the floor. The belief is non-existent. That's what he has to do. And at one all... That could have gone very easily. Chelsea could have gone up the other end. Giroud was on the pitch with a point to prove why he wasn't playing from the start. I'll, I'll never know. If we'd lost or drawn that game against that Chelsea side in that in that situation, that would have been catastrophic. I don't know. So that's why I kind of mentioned the sports. I'm not having a dig, but it just felt quiet because I think we're all quite tired. We're quite nervous. We're quite fraught. And if we'd thrown that away, I think um, I think it would have been very very difficult. It would have been like I say, catastrophic for our season. So I think. You can say that. You can put a you can put a big um, sort of you can underline it with a highlighter and, and and a big full stop and underline whatever you want to do. It, I think it was that important. Obviously, we need to go on now and do something against West Ham, not lose there. But had we had we not managed to do what we did, I know it's all hypothetics and and us football fans are good at that. But that that five minutes could well be, and I think will should be. If we're going to stay in the Premier League and if we're going to turn this season around, that that two, three, four, five minute period is it that's where it begins um, because they still had decent players on the pitch we still had a propensity to, to look wobbly in defence there were some tired legs Capu credit to him put a big shift in Decore put a big shift in we were getting we were getting squashed we weren't bossing the midfield as, as much for that just for that little period but that's all it took Hazard got the ball the, probably the only time he, he, he picked it up in that entire second half blink back of the net and that was all, that could have happened again with, without any difficulty at all but they didn't let it happen. They kept their eye on the ball. They played with with verve, with precision, with poise, um, determination, and I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled. 
I noticed one thing that is, is clearly something from the training ground, which is something that Kike used to do. So he, Kapu's job was to get between the ball and Hazard. And if you watched, uh, particularly in the first half, you watched him do it all the time. So the ball was out here with Zappacosta, Hazard is in the number 10 position, and Kapu is getting himself between the ball and Hazard in order to cut off. Uh, the supply to him. In the end, of course, he got his one chance and he took it because he's a world-class player. But if that is something off the training ground, that's something we haven't been doing, that kind of attention to detail. You don't have to man-mark him, you have to make sure that they can't get an easy pass to him. And uh, and so things like that, just very encouraging from the coach. He seems calm, he was on the pitch at the end. Chalabar was on the pitch at the end yeah. in his coat, waving at the crowd. Seems like there's there's a, there, there's reasons to be optimistic, and but you know we we'll have to wait and see. There was a determination for them all to get back into um, get back into position as well. You, I noticed them all running back to get back into into position to to reset and go again. So yeah, I agree with what Colin said. I think the attention to detail is back, and where we've been a bit sloppy um, under Marcus Silva for the last knockings of his tenure. We've got that little bit of definition, that little bit of fight, and that little bit of organisation back. Um, Really, really pleased. We need to turn the. We need to make sure that it is as important as I think it is. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. The rest of the podcast, uh, Michael and myself recorded over the weekend uh, with Mike on Skype. Uh, but uh, within it, we talk about this transfer window. I think we can add to this that uh, Delafayu is a good signing, definitely. Um, well, we hang on. We did say that about Niang about this time last year. Anyway, we'll leave that one. Uh, about the transfer window and uh, uh, how successful we think that has been for Watford. Uh, but also, we have a chat with Mike Vince, uh, the voice of uh, Watford commentary, uh, but particularly the Hornet hotline and uh, club call uh, back in the day. Uh, and to find out a little bit more of that about his time at the club. So, Mike, transfer window is closed. We asked on Twitter... Uh, how people were feeling about this. Uh, was it a successful one for Watford? Uh, we asked, did Watford nail it? Will time tell? Or, hello, defenders, and where is our new striker? Oof. And and 50% uh, of the people who voted, time will tell. That gives me a vibe that they're not loving it, but they're not thinking it was the best transfer window we've ever had. How do you feel about it? Well, I think you have to be realistic about the January transfer window. It's um, always a very, very tricky time to... Um, God, sounds well. Football cliches, page page one, right? <laughs> but it is really difficult, isn't it? Because we know what we need. We said we. Uh, you ask most supporters, say we need defensive reinforcements. Therefore, we're letting too many in, and we need a decent striker. We're not scoring enough. Well, that's kind of any team in the entire world, really, isn't it? That's not going to say no to, mm. to defensive reinforcements and 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 strikers. And my take on it is, I I think most most Watford supporters are are pretty realistic. Um, and pragmatic in, in in thinking about what 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 we can actually do that's going to make the the side better. And I, I guess a big problem with this window, this January window, was we did change our manager halfway through, and that must have delayed things. Maybe not from Watford's point of view or Watford's want point of view, but probably delayed it. Uh, maybe for people deciding to sign on the dotted line or not. Absolutely, and I think you, the the jury's out as to Filippo Giraldi. Didn't he make that much much quoted sort of? Um, statement in that in that story about how he was happy with the squad and there were a few raised eyebrows at at that statement and there was a a school of thought that perhaps that was a a bit of a coded well not very well coded but a message to to Marco Silva to look we're not we're not backing you in this transfer market you're not getting any anyone to come in but then subsequently with what three four transfers of varying sort of 
size, if you like, in terms of the the impact they've had on the squad, then perhaps they they actually really did did believe that that the, the squad is in a decent enough position. And I actually think John, seeing it's funny what a difference a couple of days make. Yes, you mentioned their new head coach come in, and that. Uh, the the bounce of that has somewhat been negated by the awful performance at Southampton. But just seeing that picture of Firmino, Miguel Britos, Will Hughes at yes. the at the training ground, obviously they're out doing doing their working on grass again. So their training's obviously wrapped up, and I think that gave everyone a spring in their step as well. So that was that was quite ke- quite cleverly released. There's elements from all sides. Yes, I think there, there are players, very very important players, to come back. We have added, and I think there's also the understanding that, that, that a blockbuster signing is always very, very unlikely. A, because it's not really the, the Pozzo way, and, and B, because it's January and, it, and it's next to impossible. So, yes, I think time will tell. I think we've added uh, Delefeu, who I think is obviously, the, the if you like, the headline the headline signing, and he'll offer us a little bit more going forward. I think he, he's, he can play out wide, and he does score the occasional goal playing, through, playing, playing down the middle. So I think that signing in addition to the belief that those players, are, 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 those influential players are coming back and that Javi Gracia can, can start having an impact on the side. And I think people are probably satisfied. Yeah, yeah, I think they are. And that's maybe why it's, it's sticking at 50% yeah. on that vote. And, you know, you, you look at them, you know, um, Gerard Delefeu, like you say, he seemed to be the only one when I saw a signing saying, "Ah, right, you're going to be straight into the first team, uh, and you can have you, you can have a, a, something to be to to add to it." Dodi Lukbako, it felt a little bit like a, a young player, like not a player that's going to necessarily make the impact. Sort of a, a similar sort of thing when we fi- we signed uh, Decore. You know, it wasn't necessarily for, for straight away. That definitely the same for uh, the goalkeeper, the, the Swedish goalkeeper, Dahlberg. He's gone straight back out again. Yeah. But then there's there's there's, uh, there's Didier and Dong, who we've got from Sunderland, uh, who I think just does again. He, he is going to be part of that first team uh, setup. I don't feel like he's necessarily, especially when everyone's fit, he's going to be a first choice. He's just filling. He's a squad player. It became clear to me that I don't, didn't think the squad was necessarily as deep as we, we thought it was. It was very effusive earlier on in the in the season about how I felt we had a very, very strong squad. But then, as it turned out, as we've had to rely on it due to due to injuries and suspensions and what have you, I, I, I think that we found out that the squad isn't probably as deep um, as we'd like. And I think... I think you're absolutely right. I think Delefeu will feature heavily in the first team. He, he he played when wasn't at Stoke on Wednesday night, but it sounded like he he looked bright for for the time he was on the pitch and uh, drove Watford forward and, and and created a little bit. That's good. I think Ndong is is definitely a squad player. I think you're right there as well. Fully fit eleven, he probably struggles to get into it, but I think he has got Premier League experience, which 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 is I think is a massive benefit. He's probably got something to prove after. His his son, he, you know, he arrived at Sunderland's record signing, I think, at the at the time. Things didn't necessarily go to plan there, obviously, because Sunderland got relegated, and I think there was some Sunderland play, uh, supporters disappointed with the the impact he had. But I think you could say the same for pretty much every every Sunderland player that's pulled on the shirt for the last two or three seasons, really. So he's been part of a difficult club environment, and he'll have something to prove. I'm confident that. He's a player with enough about him that he can add add to the squad, and I think we definitely need an extra bit of experience, an extra bit of nous, and someone who can roll his sleeves up and do do that do that job in the in the centre midfield. We've lost Tom Cleverley again midweek. I wonder whether he was rushed back a little bit, but panic, a bit panic panic stricken, bringing him back in for the game against Stoke straight away. You're already sort of grateful that that we do have someone like Ndong to 
to come in. At least he's a body with Premier League experience. And Dong as a as a as a player seems to be almost like a direct swap with Ben Watson leaving. You know, it's that 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 hierarchy of of midfielders. Yeah. Um, he's not coming to jump up. He's there to to be part of a, a you know a backup yeah. player for when there are injuries, which there seem to be a few. Um, but you know, first of all, Ben going. Yeah, you know, he was a big part of our promotion yeah. uh, team uh, and that that second gear that we need, no, fifth gear that we needed uh, to to make it over the the edge and get that that direct promotion. I think there's something quite nice about the. Um... About the way that what, what Ben Watson's last telling contribution was in a Watfordshire was that the wholesome act of keeping um, supporters and, um, and players from from knocking seven bells out out of each other. You know, he was there <laughs> to the last, doing doing his duty, doing what was was right for for Watford. Even though on pitch, I think um, everyone will uh, will agree he had a he had a very very difficult um, very very difficult game against Southampton. And I think the time was right for for Ben Watson to go. I think he's the what he had to offer. Watford in in the role that we've seen him play um, in the in the Premier League was is had gone has passed. Um, but as you rightly say, he's been an absolutely magnificent servant for for Watford. It's sort of a lot of people raised an eyebrow when we brought him in all those years ago and sort of suggested that you know his best days were behind him with Palace and and Wigan and he was a journeyman who who never really hit the heights. Whereas I think the, the the opposite was true. I think he was an absolutely fantastic signing for Watford. A real Mister Seven out of Ten, if you like. You knew exactly what you're going to get from him, especially in those those Championship seasons when you need that sort of metronomic performance when you're playing two two games a week. Very difficult to to suggest that that Ben Watson ever ever let us down. I think he was a, a really good signing. So you could always rely on Ben Watson on the field, and I also think that he was a very useful man to have around off the pitch as well. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Four others left, three of which I, I didn't think they would be announced as leaving because they sort of feel like they left already. Um, Rice, uh, DJJ, yep. Zerati uh, and Pantilimon all out on loan. Doesn't feel like a big change for the squad because they haven't played at all this year. Uh, but the one who uh, has left on loan... Um, is the one who sort of, uh, I think, for you and what you've, you've been saying, a couple of things you've been saying on our WhatsApp group with the with the from the Rookery End gang, um, another young player going out on loan, yeah. uh, and not a young Watford player going out on loan, another one of these players that we brought over, uh, but they haven't made an impact on the squad and they're they're straight off again, and that feels a, a, a that that's been growing a little bit. It has. It's these troubles me a little bit, and I think Isaac's success is an interesting interesting case study because he was he was bought in, and there was a bit of fanfare about him. He was doing well at Granada, wasn't he? He was he was uh, he was he was sort of catching the eye, and I think rough diamond was was the phrase that was used when when he came over, and there was a bit of excitement about him. He was obviously had a little bit of perhaps maturing to do reading behind be, between the lines it's it seemed like um perhaps he had a bit of um getting up to speed with the with the professionalism that's expected in in England and in the Premier League and perhaps a bit of that that was lacking um but the, from the from the little cameos we saw there's obviously a great deal of talent there that the supporters were were keen for him to do well um but for whatever reason he was never able to to get a, a full run in the side. And there was a lot of talk about fitness. And I think a lot of that was perhaps taken literally when actually reading bet- between the lines, I think when the, some of the, certainly when Marco Silva said it and sometimes when uh, Matsari said it, when they said he's not fit to be or close to being in the team, I think some people suspect that read that as injured. Whereas I think perhaps there was more to it than that. It was a bit more, he's not sort of 
showing signs of being ready to be a Premier League player. He's not mature enough. He's not acting in a way that that, that he should be to be in a to, to be in a match day squad. I have a question as to whether we're looking after these players enough and whether we're contributing to their growth, not just players but humans. Yeah, I, I just have this nagging doubt, and it's and it's um and it's sort of amplified a little bit over the past couple of weeks, and it doesn't help that obviously Watford's form has been so so poor. You tend to when the results are bad, you, it's easier to find the that you're looking for reasons, aren't you? Looking for not excuses, but you're looking for the mitigating circumstances. And I just wonder if you look at the look at the career paths of Watford players that have been brought in. You know these supposed ones that have been brought in for the future, and you just question how many of them are are actually going to go on and forge a, a successful career, certainly at, at Vicarage Road. And I just have this nagging doubt that unless you come into to Watford and you look like you're going to be an instant, not an instant success, but at least hit the ground running and be able to to contribute to, to the, the squad and the side fairly quickly, I wonder how interested the club are in actually developing them. I think there might, it feels to me that it's more, a case of let's bring them in. We've got them on the books, almost a bit like people accuse Chelsea of to a degree. Get them in, get them on the books. They're there if we need them. We can bring them back from loan, but let's farm them out and they'll develop, whether it's in Holland, whether it's in, I don't know, in Sweden or of the French leagues, whatever. There's obviously a long-term plan and I'm not, I'm certainly not having a go. It's great to, to have these players on the books and you're right. How else do you develop a player than, than sending them out on, on loan to, to get football? But is there? I'd love to know whether how often we're checking in, what what the reports we get, a on their playing, but also in terms of their development as a as a as a as an adult and a, as a professional and as a as a human being. How are they adapting to their new surroundings? How are they interacting with their clubmates? Um, and are they developing the traits that that will allow them to then come back after three, six, twelve months away to warrant that place on? But whether it's on the bench to start with or as a as a first team regular, the club seem to be doing something about that. You know, they, they announced the other week about how they're sort of re-looking at the the academy uh, and restructuring it, uh, and you know, wanting to bring through more young players, local young players, uh, into the uh, through that system. Um, and and maybe that's where again this Premier League and and, and getting promoted, the the eye's been taken off that. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit and, and um, you know assessing that because everything else has to be to be to grow very rapidly uh, and and hopefully maybe that that that, that system uh, and it being a supportive of developing young players uh, whatever it turns out to be might have an impact on these young foreign players who yeah aren't going aren't youth players anymore but they are still very young uh, immature um, men it'd be great to learn more about it wouldn't it um, and to see how that how it fits in into the the long-term plan. From the rookery end. So, Michael, uh, with the transfer window, there was lots of checking of Twitter on the, on the last day. That felt a bit different for Watford because, you know, we, we, we've been doing our business a little bit earlier um, of recent windows. Um, and and it, it got a couple of people on, on Twitter mentioning to us about Club Call. Well, I remember that I remember the Hornet hotline more than more than club call. I'll be honest. I mean, I've tweeted that picture of the club call um, number. That is actually in my wallet. That's still there. That's something I haven't been able to throw away just because it's uh, my ridiculous addiction to anything with a with a Watford crest on it. Have you called it recently? I think the Hornet hotline was oh eight nine eight ten four ten four or something like that. Was it or something like that? Um, don't don't dial it. It might be something altogether different. 
Um, and I just remember, Michael, huh? Michael, I try to dial it. Oh, <laughs> what <laughs> yeah. happened? Uh, 08, no, 0898 700 272 was the old Hornet hotline. And what happened? That number is not receiving calls. Oh. Um, but I haven't called the club call number, which was 09068 104 104. You, you hear a voice. Welcome to the Hornet hotline. Your direct line inside Vicarage Road. <laughs> impossible to think about what it was like around there i used to used to scour the evening standard on a friday for a little snippet about about watford it just wasn't the information out there you look you'd scroll through teletext you just you never got any information about watford certainly sort of during the sort of the lean years so having that direct line into the club as they cleverly marketed it it, was, it felt like you were actually getting something well when actually what you were actually getting was uh, telling off from your mum or dad because you'd spunked a load of money finding out that the reserves had drawn in the Avon Counties League Division 1 away against Oxford. <laughs> and it took you eight, eight or nine minutes, a, a pound a minute to find that out. It's a real throwback to a... To a, it's, a it's a perfect of object or, or, or a, a service to, to describe what life was like as a, as a sporter there. Uh, back back then, amazing, amazing. It was amazing how much because uh, there was no transfer window deadline day uh, back when there was a club call on the Hornet hotline. Uh, it would be amazing to figure out how much money could have been would have been made by clubs around the country if uh, people had to keep phoning up uh, every single uh, minute to find out if there'd been yeah. a new signing. Um, the man uh, who would have been one of the voices uh, on 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 Hornet hotline um, was a guy called Mike Vince, uh, who many Watford fans of uh, many many generations. Uh, would have known about as the main Watford commentator. So evocative because he was the voice of, and I've still got all these as well, all the um, end of season review videos. Uh, he did, he did, uh, Mike Vince did all the, the commentary for those. So a real part of my massive back part, actually, thinking about it, how often we've heard his voice, uh, but and how many times we've watched those videos back, we've re- rewound the, the good goals and forwarded to uh, forwarded through the, the bad ones. But Mike Vince was the, the constant voice and, um, yeah, really special to hear from him again. Um, and uh, I'm sure there's plenty of Watford supporters our age nodding their head in uh, in agreement as they listen. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Mike for uh, for coming on. And I spoke to him uh, on the phone earlier on to find out about his experience of, of club call. But generally, his, his 30 years uh, of working at Watford Football Club. But with club call, what was your role? Yeah, well, I was the voice of it. And, and I think you need to put it in the context. It was something the club felt he needed to do and every other club did one at a time when there was only really the Watford Observer that was ever covering the club. And it didn't matter to the Watford Observer whether something happened on a Monday or happened on a Thursday. It was still in next Friday's edition. And it also gave them the opportunity to put some longer interviews out. Because clearly, um, I was also sports editor of the local radio, and you might run 30 seconds of Graham or something, or a minute of Graham, particularly with a new signing with, with the club call facility. You could run five, six minutes worth of interviews. Would you say, in many ways... Maybe revolutionary is too, too strong a word, but it was certainly different then. Well, it was, but it was also a case of trying to get more... It was a, it was a way of getting extra communication uh, to the supporters. Because obviously, as I said, you had the Watford Observer, and it was brilliant, but it only came out on a Friday. And therefore, if some big story happened on a Monday, you would either listen to the club call uptake on it, or you'd have to wait until Friday. Clearly, obviously, Club Call, not only I'm talking here about Watford, I'm talking about nationally, mm. ran its course with the arrival, first of all, of the rolling news channel, namely Sky Sports News. It's on, it's on air 24 hours a day. And also, clearly, Twitter, websites and all that 
all this was long. It was a dream in that bloke's eye. <laughs> At the time we're talking about now, none of this had ever happened. How did it work then? Did you have to sort of record stuff? I mean, there was no uploading and all that sort of stuff. How did it? How did, how did I used you? to upload it all. I mean, I had a, obviously I, people know I'm a, I'm a professional broadcaster, and I would go and just interview Graham or whoever. Quite often, it was a, a chance to, if we signed a player, to get a first interview. Would then be up to me just to to load it onto a system. I was able to edit it, although those days you edited stuff by having it on a reel-to-reel tape and sticking it together, which didn't do my fingers any good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but obviously, you know, and there were times like it did think back, for instance, in those days, you played FA Cup replays three days later, and if you got a draw on a Saturday, or alternatively, for instance, if you got a really good draw, but the game was going to be all ticket, the club needed to get that out to the supporters, and that's the vehicle that was used to do it. But it was entirely editorially controlled by the club. I would never put anything in the slightest bit. I, I say controversial, anything that was slightly bit I uh, had wider without running it past the club official first. How long were you around the club then? How many years was it? About, 30, I, about 30 years. I mean, wow. I, was, I was obviously a season ticket holder first and I was lucky enough to, to do a bit of work for Hospital Radio. And from Hospital Radio, I was in at the start alongside when Chilton Radio first started. I used to actually work in the city and just cover a few games for them. did 12 years of sports over at Chilton Radio. I did a thousand games for Watford over a, what a thirty-year period. Wow! I was obviously the only radio broadcaster who did all six games in Europe. Did the cup final, did the semi-final. I was the person who was lucky enough to do the Villa semi-final in in '84 with Elton listening on a phone, lying on his bed in the south of France. And then obviously, then I worked for the club for a while, and, and without doubt, the best day I ever had in the club was was doing the the, the Wembley match against Bolton. What was it like? Because that's, you know, I'm, I'm of an age where I came in at the tail end of, of Graham's first stint. And, you know, those trips to Europe, it's not a lot of Watford fans sort of were really able to, to go out there and, and experience it. What, what particularly were they like? I mean, the most extraordinary thing was the very first one. Because, you know, no matter what anybody says, no one can ever take me. I'd still pinch myself. I, think I actually was the commentator on Watford's first game in Europe. I think the first thing that everybody, there was a great sigh of relief that it was Germany, because when we went into the draw, Germany, and they were all thinking about trying to get the, the, the supporters out there. You know, Germany was one of the better places that we could have been drawn. There was some suggestion that there was a team in Albania in that in that draw. And so drawing Kaiserslautern in West Germany, uh, was it was important to be able to, for the, for the supporters, because although it got tougher trying to get visas for Bulgaria in a later round, at least for the very first one, you know, you got lucky simply on the basis of, of, of travelling and, and geography. The, the Kaiserslautern people were, were terrific, and it was always a great tradition, I remember, that the directors of the home team entertained the visiting directors the night before the game, and the Kaiserslautern directors had been invited to dinner at Elton's the night before the second leg, and they really did push the boat out. And I remember one or two of the Watford directors coming back quite clearly, having had a good dinner, let's leave it at that, <laughs> and sitting around the team hotel... It was the most extraordinary. I was sitting because obviously I was a bag of nurse because it was my first European game. I was covering for what, and nobody else was doing it. So I just sat and I remember having a bite of supper and sitting just in my homework. And Graham just walked around the hotel, came and chatted. We all started chatting, just having a, a bit of fun. And the director, and of course, by this stage, you know, the players were in bed. But it, what it did as well, games like that, was it cemented the most extraordinary relationships between players and, and between the players and, and those of us who were on the journey with them. And, and its value from that point of view is quite amazing. You know, and I was the one who got into all sorts of trouble, didn't I? Because I don't know if people might remember this. 
Of course, the second game was in Bulgaria. And we'd drawn the home leg 1-1 against Levski Spartak. And with a whole stack of injuries, injuries coming out of our ears. And we'd gone to the second game in Sofia. Wilf Rostrum was a makeshift centre-forward. Wilf, about four foot six, headed a goal. Cali scored as well. And then we couldn't get back uh, on the charter flight because Luton was fog-bound. I think it was me that actually said that when they, when they went to Manchester at two o'clock in the morning, I went into the radio station, I recorded a piece for breakfast, got me into all sorts of trouble saying that this had been a quite unforgettable trip, but wasn't it difficult that Luton had sabotaged Watford's finest hour? <sighs> Uh, didn't get on very well in certain parts of Bedfordshire. Uh, you talked about, you know, Graham there. You know, what was he from your point of view as as a man in the media? Graham was the best mentor any man could have had, and I feel deeply privileged to have worked with him for twenty years. Somebody asked me go back a few years when Adrian Boothroyd was in charge, and obviously took Watford up into the Premier League. Somebody asked me what's the biggest difference between Graham Taylor and Adrian Boothroyd. And the way I put it was, Adrian Boothroyd's the manager of Watford Football Team, Graham Taylor's the manager of Watford Football Club. Everybody was in it, everybody was on the journey, and things like the kit sponsors nights, little small things. But what that did in terms of team building, the family enclosure where the players, I used to go every year for about, about as long as they did them, I was used to enjoy it thoroughly because I was only the MC of it. I used to MC the family enclosure Christmas party. We you know when you had Luther Bissett and one or two others in a three-legged sock race and things like that. <laughs> yeah. and, and the kids absolutely loving it. But then on the Saturday afternoon, you go around that family enclosure. You know, there's yellow blood in all their veins. And, and what he did to mould Watford into everybody in, pulling in the same direction was just quite extraordinary. I just feel a very, very lucky man to have worked with him for 20 years. Very lucky. You called him uh, a mentor. Um, is, is there some what one bit of advice maybe he, he, he sort of sticks with Well, you? yeah, I mean, it's the same for anybody who starts knowing nothing, and I know nothing. Some people would say I still know nothing. But, you know, the thing is that, you know, you go and talk to Graham, and he wouldn't... He, he'd listen and he'd, he'd answer, and you almost felt as though you were chatting to a friend. And he learned so much just by standing and listening. And I, there's some great stories I could tell. I mean, I still think, and you also learned then about Graham and, and, his, and his methods of motivation. I remember going to a game, I forget where it was. It was up north. It was somewhere like Preston or somewhere up in that part of the country. And the, there'd been a supporter special put on. And it went north with two extra carriages with the aim that, after the game, the players should would come back with the supporters and there'd be a bit of mixing and a chance for, you know, autographs and all that. And, and the players' chance to mix with the most loyal supporters who'd gone on the away trip. Suffice it to say, it was probably Watford's worst performance in about 10 years. We all waited. The train left late because the players were late. We all knew why the players were late. And the door between the two carriages where the players were and where the supporters were was shut throughout the entire journey. And so you all get to Watford Junction, and as, as most people know who are particularly who use the station, you come out of the station and then you go under the ramp up to where you pick up your car and, 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 and drive away. And I can remember that night walking up. Unfortunately, I talked to Graham before he'd gone back into the dressing room at the end of the game. Walking up that ramp and getting to my car, and I thought, I recognise that voice. And he got them all on the platform, and he was still telling me exactly what he thought of them. Really? His ability to motivate 
was quite extraordinary. But nonetheless, he was he was able. I don't know how he did it, but at the same time, he had the ability to be the most decent human being that anybody could ever want to meet. He got time for everybody, and he always used to say one of the best things about being manager of Watford was he was able to go out shopping with with Rita, and he could go down the soup, he could go down the greengrocers and join the queue and ask for two pounds of potatoes. Can you imagine any manager doing that now? No. And the other thing is, I was lucky enough to work for Eurosport in the '98 World Cup, and I was a bit nervous about it because it was a huge opportunity for me, and I was quite pleased with my first game. And I got back to my hotel, and I got one message: you don't need to ask who it was from. Do you have a like a favourite moment? Maybe not not necessarily favourite game, but a favourite moment that you you know you got to commentate on. Two really, I suppose. The the full time whistle in the semi final of the FA Cup against Plymouth at Villa, because you then realise they'd achieved it. I remember the FA Cup final itself perhaps was slightly was slightly disappointing. It was the moment they'd reached Wembley, something that no Watford team had ever done before, and and I suppose for obvious reasons. Yeah, my line, I think, and I, I chuckled because I actually, I thought done a half-decent line back in, in, you know, on that game I talked about at Wembley, uh, when I actually think I said, there are 39 steps up to the Royal Box, but not even John Buchan, as Robert Pace lifted the cup, could have written a story like this one. Mm. You know, that day will live in me for the rest of my life, and I thought that night, you're the luckiest man in the world. So, Michael, off next to West Ham United away. We've already seen how important it is that we need to keep going and move on from here. Uh, we then got a week off. Because half my thought was, right, he's, he's had, I know he's had seven days since, but he's, he's, you know, he had a quick game, then Stoke, now this one, then, then West Ham. There's only so much you can do. We've then got two weeks off where he could probably really imprint something and work on it. But he's, he's ahead of schedule in my mind. Well, yeah, I mean, we've just got 4 1. We've just beat the champions at home 4 1. 6 5 in aggregate. <laughs> <laughs> after, a two, after, a, after, a re, after a real bad run of results. Um, he stopped the rot at Stoke. Uh, they've turned it around magnificently here. Um, if we can get something at West Ham, then, you, like you say, we've got, we've got a bit of a, a break so he can continue to work, not just with the shape and tactics and getting to know the players, but also on the fitness of some of those guys key to come back. Um, you know Tom Cleverley we've got to come back Will Hughes sounds like he might be close to fitness uh, Firmino those guys uh, hopefully Shalabar wasn't hobbling when I saw him earlier he didn't have any crutches he didn't need any help walking or anything like that so it's all looking positive so I'm babbling away here because I'm excited I'm so thrilled with the way with the way Watford turned it around I still think we've got a lot of work to do the West Ham game will be absolutely fascinating I'd love to see you, know, you can't you can't gloss over the fact that Chelsea were absolutely dialing that in tonight. They were they were woeful. They just weren't at the races at all. But we but, but we weren't we were more than at our races. Yeah, we were good compared to where we were. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. But we're, West Ham they will have a be a sellout crowd of and they will be expecting some sort of performance. They're having a terrible time of it. They're in a relegation battle just like us. They will see that as a as a as a game where they can pick up points. So it'd be fascinating to see how we how, how we fare there um, where perhaps. We're going with an elevated sense of expectation as well. So plenty still to do. But in terms of foundations, after that shocking start at Southampton in the Cup, I think having thought about it now, I'm kind of glad we're out of the Cup because <laughs> we do get, we get that extra bit of rest and we can, we can focus on what really is the, the main job at hand and that's staying in the division and, um, and turning this season around. So 
plenty of positives there. Um, lots of smiles around the place, which is has been sadly lacking uh, yeah. for for far too long. You know, we can we can start looking forward to to Watford matches again, which is uh, what it's all about, isn't it? Well, the enjoyment and looking forward to enjoying is back. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you follow us on all our social media at Waffle Podcast. Uh, subscribe and tell your friends uh, that there's a podcast called From the Rookery and you can download. Thank you, Michael. You're more than welcome. Well done, Watford. Oh, do, can I just say I've given Etienne Capu a really, really tough time over the over the over the over the piece. So fair play to to Mr. Capu. I thought he was great today and Hollabas as well. I thought showed um, showed some decent touches and I haven't been his greatest. Uh, I mean, I've a love hate relationship with Hollabas, <laughs> much like he has with with everyone else, seemingly. So the world, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think it's important that having been pretty tough on some some Hornets performance over the last couple of weeks, uh, point out I thought they were really good tonight. Ziegler did well as well. So fair play, lads. You've uh, yeah, you've sent me home happy. And that is a miracle. <laughs> Come on, you horns. <laughs>